0: Uh, Starting the series on the gospel, or I should say where I started, we're continuing on following Jesus in the midst of chaos. And uh, I'm glad you made it today, because I know what? What is today? The Super Bowl, right? So I told Pastor Malik, I said, listen, I don't want you singing any songs that have the word eagle in it. And I'm going to refrain from using the word chief priest. So those are two phrases that are off limits today because I don't want to be sending any subliminal messages to anybody about what's going on. Hey, I I hope you enjoy If you do watch it, I hope you enjoy it. It should be a good evening. But anyway, we're here today to continue the series. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word. And I am going to give you a little heads up before I go to the scripture and let you see it. We're going to be reading the story of where John the Baptist got beheaded. I know that. will Yeah you're thinking, I promise you, you probably have never heard a sermon on this because most times it's a reference point because how do you make a sermon out of somebody getting beheaded? How many can trust your pastor? He can fly that plane. All right, So here we go, Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Come on, everybody read together. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. And John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest's And pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. They, they went and told Jesus. "The Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us as followers of Christ to have our heart and mind and values shaped by your word so that we could have the expressions in our world and our culture that you expect us to have representing you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So you're probably wondering, why are we talking about a guy who got his head cut off and how does that fit into everyday life? So let me just give you just a synopsis real quick. Of what. I, I can give you a, a one-word title of what this message is about. It's about government. Notice the resounding amens. It's just utterly deafening in here. You say, why, why are we talking about government? Well, here's the thing. Sometimes the best time to talk about it is maybe when it's not such a sore spot and maybe when there's not something so controversial going on. So so that when controversy comes, we find that we have the resources in our toolbox. When you're working a job, some of you are blue collar workers and you understand this. When you're out doing a job, and you recognize that there's an issue in front of you and you go to the toolbox and the tool is not there, that's another problem because now you've got to take a break from the job to go get the right tool to get the job done. A lot of times as followers of Christ, we're doing the same thing. We may not have this issue going on in our life. But it's important to learn it and put it in the toolbox so that one day, if and when that comes and we reach into that toolbox of values, we go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know what my response needs to be, and I know how I'm to act, and I know what what I need to be doing in this particular time. Now, I'm going to say, let let me just say this. We have a number of government people in the the first service and second service that attend this church. So let me, can I just give everybody a fresh breath of air? Okay? This is not where Pastor Greg dumps on the government. This is not where Pastor Greg dumps on the people who work in the government. He's, this is not a, ser- a sermon today where you know, he's going to badmouth and this. Bad. No, it's not that at all. This is a, listen, best time to talk about it is when it's not a hot topic so that you can have an understanding of when things happen, what should our response be to some of the things that come from time to time. But let me let me set it set this up with some comments before we get into the Gospel of Matthew. When there is a crisis that has regional, national, and international impact, instinctively people look to governmental leaders for help and direction. It's a natural thing. We all do it. We all, whether we're traveling and we're in our vehicle, we'll we'll try to tune into some some radio station or get some information. We might, you know, if we have our iPhone available and you're not driving. You might want to do some research on the news. You, you, if you're home, you might have your other ways of finding it. But the point being is this. It's when these crises and things that happen that we're often looking to them for help and for direction. And like what's next and what should our response be as citizens so that I have a frame of mind of what's going. We look for information that we can't get by ourselves. But what happens though is, let me ask you this question. What do you do when the government leaders are your problem? Now, some of you just said, you said you weren't dumping on it. I'm not. I'm just saying. Let's look, let's, look, let's look around. Let's look at history, and let's look around the world. What do you do when the governmental leaders are the problem? There's 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 nations today where Christians have to be very careful about their conduct and their expressions because if their values, if they were discovered to be expressing those values and living that kind of life as a follower of Christ, they could end up in prison and many of them could even up, uh, be, uh, be put to death. We support missionaries here that are in closed countries and the only people that know their names and where they're at are myself and a few of the leadership team here. You support them, but we can't tell you who they are because of where they're at and the danger that it would put them and their families in. Okay? In their, in their particular context, the problem is the government. They're trying, they're trying to have an expression of sharing fa- their faith with Christ, but there's inhibitors, uh, I'll say severe inhibitors, compared to some of the things that we face today. And we see also around the world from time to time that leaders sometimes make bad choices that create a personal crisis in their life, and then they like to take it out on the people. Okay? So it's just looking at what do you do... Whether, you're, whether it's here in the U.S. or somewhere in the world, what do you do as a follower of Christ when your government leaders are your problem? I can't live a normal life. I, I, I can't express my faith. I have to be the, to the degree that I want. I have to be cautious. I have to be careful. Now, let me set this up because, in another way, is this. We, oft, we know this. Sometimes people make poor personal choices and then they blame governmental figures for their consequences. Some people just like to blame the government anytime anything happens. So an example is they get pulled over speeding. Now I know that you don't because you come to church. But we're talking about those folks who didn't make it today, you know. They get pulled over, you know, and out, out of their mouth comes, I understand, you know, is everybody and his brother speeding? Why would you pick on me? Why did you single me out after everybody that's out here doing this? And, you know, folks, it's a real simple answer. He only has one hook, and he caught you. Okay, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's one fish at a time. And so, okay, so you took the bait. (laughs) All right, but the the point being is people oftentimes want to make bad choices. Then there's consequences, and they go, it's the government's fault because I shouldn't have consequences for my decision that I made. You're like, no, you should have done the homework before you made the decision. Not blame the government for the consequences that have set in as a result of your poor decision. And other times, people often blame governmental leaders just because they're easy targets. I mean, after all, let's face it, you can badmouth political officials today. You can walk to, you can go up to people and go, I don't like this. You can say all kinds of things. And you don't have to worry about getting a phone call from the political official tonight that says, hey, I heard what you said about me today. And I don't appreciate that. Now, if we do that to a family member or a friend, you know, we expect to be confronted. But most people know, government officials are never going to confront me about something bad that I said about. So they just become easy targets for us to dump our emotions on. It doesn't even have to be true. I just felt good spewing it. Well, so here we come back to what is my response and what is my responsibility as a follower of Christ okay, being able to uh, express what I believe in appropriate fashions, what is to be my expression towards those in government. And so I want to share this with you, and we're going to set this up. Matthew's actually one of the best guys to talk about a, a person's response to government, because he used to be one of them. He worked for them, okay. In his gospel, Matthew demonstrates the power of the gospel when government leaders conspire against it. One of the challenges we have is how the gospel of Matthew is written. But I'm going to show you today how frequently he just then Refer to situations he gave names and positions and he also reveals private conversation. How would Matthew know the private conversation? We know some stuff about these officials in his gospel that the other gospels don't tell us why because Matthew used to be an insider. And he, as a tax collector, even though he would have become a follower of Christ, he would not have lost his contacts inside the government of Rome. So he knew what the dialogues were in the hallways among some of these leaders, and he puts it in his God. So we get this picture of the Roman government and its response to Jesus and the gospel. And it's critical for us. So as I've said often, text without context leads to pretext. We've got to be careful about parachuting in our thoughts and just going into the scripture and say, now, let's put our our feet where, when when Matthew wrote this, what was going on? Number one, Matthew would have been viewed as a government insider who came on the outside, had a transformation of heart, but he said, let me tell you what I know and what I saw. I can tell you things about the response of the Roman government that you would not know unless you were on the inside like myself. And I'm going to show you here in just a second a little more, but here's let me set this framework up. I shared two of these facts last week. In 64 AD, Nero had burned the city of Rome to the ground and the Christians got blamed for it. Then in 70 AD, General Titus on behalf of the Roman Empire shows up in Jerusalem and he levels it. And over a million people are slaughtered. In that, in, in that city when it, was, when it was destroyed. Now I don't have time to keep unpacking that, but obviously within a six year period, how many can see people are like, this Roman government is anything but a government, it's just tyranny, that's all it is. These folks are in charge and they're, they're tyru- they, they, they rule by an iron fist, there's no, there's no representative th- thing about this thing, they just rule, they're mean, they're cruel, You might even say they're state-sponsored terrorists. And so people don't have a good view of the government. And they're trying to say, so what do we do when the government has gone off the cliff this far? What is our response to be to all this stuff happening? So number one, read this out loud with me. Governmental powers. Oh, come on, you ought to say amen on the end governmental powers cannot stop the advancement of the gospel what he does is look at look at the entire book of Matthew he names names and positions and his picture so we we all want the we want the timeline just smooth it out for me baby you know step one step two step three let me just read it smooth okay that's called western thinking In the Eastern mindset, you didn't follow the chronological order unless it fit your storyline of the picture that you were trying to paint. So you always have to look for the big picture that's being told. With this, what he's trying to show, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to get into it. What he's trying to show is this, Rome threw everything it had at the gospel and Rome lost. He said, you may not live in a place where you can see the big picture, but I lived in a place and I had connections and I'm telling you, Rome threw everything it had at Jesus and Rome lost. That's how I know that governmental powers cannot stop the advancement of the gospel. Because, you see, Herod the Tetrarch, he executed John the Baptist, if you read the story and caught it this morning, it says... He, he had killed, it starts off, he had killed John the Baptist and Jesus is preaching and there's miracles and he starts, the story starts off with, that's John the Baptist, he's come back to life. Got to love a government official that starts believing in the resurrection of the dead. How many know they're halfway there? And then he goes on, then it goes on to describe the story of how he had killed John the Baptist. And basically what you find with, 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 with Herod the Tetrarch, he just, he owed a favor, he made a commitment. But he wasn't real favorable to John the Baptist to begin with because he had, and going to get into this, there was another motive about why he wanted to have John the Baptist killed. And you find, you find out here, killing John the Baptist didn't kill the gospel. Then you come to Matthew, so let's go all the way through the book of Matthew real quick. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 you have King Herod, remember he told the Magi when you find this, this baby called Jesus, come and tell him, tell me so I can go and worship him. And we find that wasn't true, and he, so he heard that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem, so he had all the male babies two years of age and under executed, but an angel had Uh, Appeared to uh, Joseph his father and said you need to run and you need to leave and you need to leave now again you find in this context is this the power of Rome couldn't beat the supernatural power of God then you read about the centurion it starts to show that the gospel was penetrating all the ranks of Rome a centurion recognizes who Jesus is and the power that he has and says I have a sick servant And he says, I understand authority. I see you present yourself as a man of authority. He says, I tell a soldier to go. I don't have to follow him to make sure he does it because I'm a man of authority. And me telling him is enough. Jesus, you are a man of authority. If you say my servant is healed, he will be healed. You don't have to come. And Jesus speaks the word and his servant is healed. Then you read the story, obviously, of Matthew, the tax collector, a guy who is buried in government bureaucracy. He's a traitor, but he's protected by the power of Rome, and Jesus knows where the traitor hides out, and he knows where the traitor can have a conversation, and Jesus confronts that government official about his corruption, who he is, and changes his life. You see, again, the gospel is penetrating the barriers and the walls of Rome at all dimensions, soldiers. Government officials, tax collectors. Then you come to the high priest Caiaphas. Notice I didn't say he was the chief priest. Because some of you would take that as a clue somehow that God was. No, no, no. But he he or the high priest Caiaphas. He was a part of the political corruption. And so again, we see that not only is Rome corrupted the religious leaders had connected themselves to Rome and they were part of So there was no safety for anybody to go anywhere. That even when they went to the house of God, they were going to get Roman rule. Not even Caiaphas. Hey, he, he helped Jesus to get executed. Even Caiaphas, the high priest, who was supposed to represent the people to God. Now get this. The guy who's supposed to represent the people to God tried to stop God. And God says, you may be the people's representative before me, but I don't take my cues from you. The gospel was more powerful than the strongest spiritual leader in the land. You know, it says something here. Sometimes we have spiritual leaders who go public that are announcing new expressions of the gospel about, you know, new doctrines and that. Can I just tell you, they can go ahead and spout what they want, but God doesn't change his word because of a particular personality. And I say that as a spiritual leader myself. God doesn't take his cues from me. I could change whatever I want to change, but God's not going to go, well, Pastor Greg said. (laughs) You know, we've got to keep him on board, so we're just going to have to... i got news for you. God doesn't negotiate with me about his word any more than he negotiates with anybody else. I skipped one here. It says uh, the imperial tax to Caesar. And I'm going to get into that one in a little bit. It's one of my points. But Jesus was being asked about whether to pay taxes to Caesar. And so he he was talking about the authority of Caesar himself is present in this nation. And guess what? Not even Caesar's taxation could stop the gospel. Then you come to the story of Pilate the governor, who was in charge of the trial that oversaw Jesus' conviction and Jesus' execution. And even, the, even Pilate the governor, even though he had the power to sentence Jesus to death, get this, couldn't keep Jesus dead. The gospel was more powerful than the death declaration. And then you read about the Praetorian soldiers and their role in the beating of Jesus and, and, in the, and, and engaging in the, in the process of seeing Jesus executed. And so he's painting a picture. Look, he's saying, Rome through everything it had at Jesus and lost. It lost. It doesn't matter. Listen, it doesn't matter what a government says about the faith. Now, let me just say it. It sure makes life easier if they're for our values. But there's not enough people to regulate me on a daily basis, you on a daily basis, of just living out our faith from those values and sharing who we are and saying, listen, there are governments around the world who have shut down their societies trying to stop Christianity. The Soviet Union tried it for decades and decades and decades and failed miserably. There are followers of Jesus in, in what is now called Russia today. There are listen. There are followers of Christ in, in China after being closed for 50 years. Some of the, the, the listen. To this, this we knew that there were about two million believers in 1948. There were about two million believers in China. When China shut it down. And for 50 years, nobody knew what was going on with the church in China. And everybody just assumed, please God, let there be a remnant of a church left. Maybe 2 million, maybe there's 200,000 left. Just let something be left. 50 years later, we get inside of China and we find the church has gone from 2 million to 50 million. They removed Western influence. They thought the church would collapse without Western influence and Western support and they monitored their people, they watched their people, and all it did was increase 25-fold. Iran is the same way. 40 years of Islamic control, trying to control people's expression, outlawing Christianity. And you don't hear about it, but there is a massive revival among the young people in Iran. You don't hear about that. Why is, why are they turning, because they're like, look, it's 40 years. When does Islam start to work for us? Instead of against us. When does it start to improve our lives? You say sacrifice. You say do all these things. We're doing those things and it keeps getting worse. And so naturally that leads to inquiries about is this even the truth? Is this even the way? Let me tell you, governments around the world have thrown everything they have at the gospel to say we're here to shut it down. And every government's lost. I've had the privilege of being in and out of some closed countries and I can tell you It's amazing the the result. Even in those, they don't have enough people to monitor the everyday actions of people who say, but these are the values that guide my life. I may not be able to grab a megaphone and proclaim what I'm living for, but you can't stop how I make my decisions every day. You can't change the value system that, guards my, that, that drives my heart, that drives how I respond to people. And you can't, listen, you can't monitor me 24-7 to make sure I'm not praying. There's not enough resources, not enough people. Listen, I'm just here to tell you, the power of the gospel is powerful. It is powerful. Number two, everybody read it out loud. The gospel exposes disingenuous governmental leaders. Now, some of you go, whoa, is this where you're going to bang on him? No, I'm not. But what I want you to see is the gospel also, just as it works in the everyday life of people who have even gathered here today, just the everyday person where the conviction of the Holy Spirit shows up, it also works in governmental leaders, Reading in John chapter 14 about John the Baptist being beheaded, now Herod, and that was the Tetrarch, had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So he had helped the, uh, let's just say he helped his brother disappear because he liked his wife. And John the Baptist is calling him out on it. The real reason John the Baptist died was because Herod didn't like being convicted by the Holy Spirit being confronted by the preaching of John the Baptist so he had him arrested but he was afraid to execute him but he knew he wasn't gonna let him loose And the scenario of the girl dancing, and he made an oath, kind of put him in a box, and he had to move ahead and do something that he wasn't really prepared to go that far. But it was all driven by the fact that he wanted a woman who was not his wife, she belonged to somebody else. That was the bottom line. And notice that John, or notice that Matthew is not afraid to say why, because he knew the inside story. He had people who he used to run with that were in those hallways and they said this is what if you want to know what Herod's t- saying it you want to know what Herod's saying in the palace we'll tell you he hates John the Baptist because he doesn't like him being called out about his new wife it wasn't rome that Herod was standing for it was personal offense then you come to another one, King Herod, which is in Matthew chapter 2. He tells the magi, hey, when you find Jesus, why don't you go tell me? Be sure to tell me where he's at so I can come and worship him as well. But that was a false pretense. The bottom line is King Herod just didn't want any competition, even if it was in the form of a baby. He wasn't taking any chances. It had nothing to do with Rome. It had nothing to do with the laws. It had to do with personal guarantees, a personal offense that he didn't want the Jews worshiping a baby when he was the king. He had no intention of letting the glory be shared with somebody else or taken from him. Then you come to the story of Governor Pilate. It was all about trying to avoid an insurrection He was cornered by the the religious leaders, just as he had blackmailed them, they were now blackmailing him, and he could not find a way out of it. Listen to me, there's a story in the Gospel of Matthew that tells you, Matthew had people on the inside, he tells a story in his Gospel that he does not tell, or that none of the other Gospel writers tell, and it's about Pilate's wife. Now, I know when I tell you this story, you're going to grab your Bible or your, your iPhone, you're going to say, I don't know if pastor's adding to the gospel here or not. If he's. In the gospel of Matthew, it says that Pilate's wife had a dream. And she went to Pilate and said, this man is innocent. He's innocent. She's, she was warning him not to convict him to death. There's no other gospel mentions that. It shows how far Matthew's contacts worked inside the government, he knew that Pilate's wife went to him. How many know that's pretty good sourcing? Yeah. And why did Pilate not listen to her? Because he feared an insurrection if he didn't agree to what the religious leaders want. Hey, he even said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. And the religious leaders said, fine, then let it be on us and our children and our children's children. Pilate knew, but he, it had nothing to do with Roman law. It had nothing to do with Roman justice. It was all about a guy saving his skin. And then you come to uh, the other story of high priest Caiaphas. And it's exactly the same. We get the private conversations that were happening inside that Sanhedrin and some others we get all the private conversation because see Matthew used to belong to the tribe of Levi so he used to be so he grew up to be trained as a priest so he also had his sources in there and we learn about sourcing inside as he as as Jesus was in front of Caiaphas and what we find out here is this it was jealousy on the part of Caiaphas he didn't like the fact that people would look to Jesus as the Messiah as the leader and Caiaphas said I am the leader I'm the high priest I will not share that with anybody and this Jesus is a threat to the status quo. I have served my whole life to become high priest. If you think I'm going to let some Jew from Galilee take that from me, you're kidding. It had nothing to do with Jewish law, Jewish justice. It was all about a guy saving his skin. Let me just tell you, the gospel has a way of lay, lay, laying bare the heart and the motives of why governmental leaders do what they do. You know when they love people, you know when they care, and you know when they're pursuing justice. But let me tell you, God is not afraid to expose those who are in leadership who have wrong motives for doing what they're doing. Everybody said amen? Amen. Number three, I know this will just resonate real loud, let's go. Jesus validated a government's authority to tax. Wow. you say, Pastor, why would you have to put that in there? Because, listen, we, we need to know this whole picture that is being told about a Christian's response to government influence, government authority, and governmental decisions. And Matthew tells a story of when Jesus was confronted by two groups. One group was for stopping the payment of taxes because Rome was an occupying army and they just didn't like what Rome did with the money. So they were arguing, we need to stop supporting Rome. Well, everybody knew that was going to bring some backlash. And then you had another group who was there to say, but you live here and th- th- this, this taxation helps your community, road developments, et cetera, so you need to be paying. And there was this big, so they brought both groups so that no matter what Jesus said, he was guaranteed to have a riot. Be careful when enemies show up united. Right? Yeah. So, this is what Jesus said to them. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites. How many of you know that? that's probably a tough way to open a conversation? Yeah. Oh, well, anyway. You hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? So he knows what's going on. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. He said, it's not either or, it's both. So right there, you go into the book of Romans and Paul Talks about when it's referring to government official, if you owe honor to, to government, uh, pay, uh, give honor to whom honor is due, give respect to whom and respect to who pay taxes to when taxes are due. And again, he's emphasizing as the followers, Christ, we pay our taxes. Now, what does that mean? Now, we can have disagreements about what the tax rate ought to be. We can, we can have disagreements about how much they spend and what they spend it on. Those are all legit things that we can have those disagreements and conversations over but the bottom line is, is this god says listen if if your government is supported by taxes that's how they function then you need to take responsibility you see this is great this is a great time to have that conversation since you're all filling out your 1040s and such <laughs> you know and you're filling it out you know you're, you know you get to those gray areas i don't know i think i know better what to do with the money than the government so can i tell you this listen we're all beneficiaries of roads schools police protection, fire protection. I mean, we could just go on and on. We can argue about how much resource they need, but we all partake, we all share in the resources of a community. So yes, we ought to be paying taxes to support the resources that we demand, that we expect. I will even go that we need. Okay, The military is not supported by donations. The police departments are not supported by donations. They're supported by tax base. So we need to understand in a direct line that yes, we do need to pay taxes. It's the responsible thing to do. It's the right thing. I'll say it again. We have a right to have a dialogue. Well, I just don't think it ought to be that high. I don't think it ought to be spent on that much or redirected. That's that's part of our system, okay? But to say, as a Christian, I'm not gonna pay taxes. Can I just tell you that's a really bad idea. And I can tell you, I don't even think you have biblical support for it. Jesus, look at it. Jesus said, pay your taxes. Now, I don't know what authority figure you're going to quote after that to top it. Well, according to a guy that I researched on the internet, I don't care what he is on the internet. He doesn't top Jesus. He said, pay. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that was super weak. Number four, read this out loud. Governmental leaders don't have final judgment on the teachings of the Bible. The Bible has final judgment on the decisions of governmental leaders. You go to the Gospel of Matthew, Rome won a few battles. But Rome lost the war. And God didn't forget. You read a story here in in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was telling a parable. But I think Matthew inserted this because it's not only applicable to so many environments. And it says, But everyone who wants to hear these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. It says you can go ahead and build a house if you don't think that the foundation that the Bible provides for living, if you don't agree with that, and you want to build a different foundation, fine, you can go ahead and do that. Listen, I am not about forcing anybody to follow Jesus. I am not about forcing my values down anybody's throat. I'm not about that. But I want to tell you this. If you choose another value system, you need to prepare for your house to crash. And not blame bad luck, circumstances, them or them or them or them or her or that. Take full responsibility. It tells us if you choose to build your life on another set of values you better be prepared that there's a storm that could do you in and you won't be you can't blame god and anybody else or fate or bad timing whatever the you know just in the wrong place. no you chose to build on something other than the rock because I'm, I'm going to tell you something. There is a. We all will have a storm or two in life in which everything that you believe will be tested. And that's when you find out what you've really built on. I don't know exactly when they happen. I just know you live long enough and you see a few hurricanes. It's just life. You may not have done anything to invite that in, but life produces storms. So again, you come back to, and and uh, uh, two things I'm going to refer to here. Number one, this great experimentation that is going on regarding the sexuality of kids. I'm telling you, it's the great experiment. That's what it is. There is nothing historical that has ever said that it will work, has worked. It It is a giant experiment. There are people who think we're now educated enough, to be able to avoid the pitfalls associated with those types of choices. And I'm thinking, you're kidding. You think you're smart enough now? You're ruining lives. And I don't say that with pride and joy. I say that as a warning. Listen, it's the great social experiment. That's what it is. There's no fact, there's no basis, there's no foundation, there's no history for it. They think that they're going to do this now because they're now smarter than anybody in history. And that's going to produce heartache and lives that will be destroyed. And as a pastor, hear me. I will not be going. I told you I will be going and saying, how do we help you? How do we show you that it matters to us what happens to you. There will be no banners of celebration when this thing collapses and people's lives and their futures are ruined. There will be no celebration at the bridge over it. There will be, I hope there's a heart of servants that says, Pastor, that's my friend. That's my family member. That's my neighbor. That's my coworker. How do I help them? And I'm praying that God has this resource. I don't know what it'll be needed, but I'm praying that God has this resource at that moment to be able to intervene because God has never called for us to sing a triumph over people's failures. That's not what we are about. It's about compassion and mercy, right? Now, I had three stories that I was going to tell at this point in the sermon, and in the first service, I only got through one of them. And if you looked at your clock, which I know you have, <laughs> the fact that I say I have three stories would just cause you all quite uh, severe angst. So let's just chill out. I'm just going to tell you one story that, that about the, the, how governmental leaders don't have final judgment on the teachings of the Bible. The Bible has the final judgment. And I think we're we're past this far enough that it's a it's a it's a situation that it's okay to reveal. I can say some things f- from a private level what was going on inside of me. We just came out of this COVID, okay, and you know we're we're continuing you know the processes of of momentums and normals in life. But in the middle of that, there was when it was when the when the shutdowns were all happening, there was a there was a declaration by our own state which. I'm just going to tell you on the outset, it was very offensive to me. And it was said this, that they said that uh, liquor stores were of necessity. They could stay open. Abortion clinics were of necessity and essential, so they were going to stay open. But that churches were non-essential. And that they were to shut down unless they could, they, they gave us pages and pages and pages. I'm the kidding you, pages of documents. You know, if you're going to do it, this is how you have to do it. I think you know I sat down and I said, I will not be shut down. I'll figure that out And without being defiant and rebellious. And so we just said, this is how we're going to do it. We're here for the people who are comfortable and feel safe. If they weren't, we're fine. That's how we started online. So, you know, this is not about revisiting people's decisions and choices. This is about the fact I got offended that I was told that I was non-essential. Now, I didn't share that with a lot of people. Well, my wife heard it. I said, I don't think I'm overestimating my role. And my, but it just seems to me that every time there's a community tragedy or a statewide disaster, these government officials are calling on churches to step up and to help in the catastrophes and the disasters because it's exceeding governmental resources. So all of a sudden, we're the go-to people. And now we have a, not just a national crisis, but a world crisis. And I've had somebody tell me I'm non-essential. And that what I do is non-essential. So I had to shut my mouth for a while. Because what I found was this. I was being driven by personal offense. And it's never good to talk loudly when you're personally offended. <laughs> Can I get a witness? <laughs> so, held my time. And, and I did. I, I, I was asking the Lord, why am, I, why am I so offended by this? Why am I so ticked about it? And I'm just going to say, the Lord helped me to say, hey, part of it is, is you're making it about you, and this was never to be about you. You need to tone down the rhetoric that you're talking to yourself with. So in that process, God helped me to get a different perspective, and I'm going to share that with you. I was still offended, but I got offended for a different reason, because it says we are the body of Christ. Right, You go to the scripture, we are the body of Christ. It was said that the body of Christ was non-essential. I want you to absorb that for a second. Jesus' body is non-essential. Now I'm not going to say that they had these deep theological discussions in the rooms in Richmond, you know, I'm not... I'm not I understand that they probably had that conversation on a different tone and a different level. But part of government governing is understand how it plays out at the grassroots, right? So I would imagine there had to be at least a religious figure or two in the room that provided some direction. I don't know what was said. I don't have a Matthew (laughs) working the hallways, you know. They could tell me what was said, but just like, yeah, I think what offends me is the fact that jesus they said your body is not necessary a world catastrophe and they don't want the body of jesus god that offends me because i spent my life and i still will spend my life saying i think you're necessary i'm just a part of it but it's not about me it's about the fact that you're not invited in That in the worst catastrophe that we've seen in decades and decades, they don't think you're needed. They think they can dismiss your body. And it just caused me to say, God have mercy. I don't know if they know that that's what they said or intended to say. I'm going to be the body of Christ regardless of whether I have permission or not. You I've said this before. You get me, you get Jesus. You don't want Jesus, you don't want me. You get me, you get. I, 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 years ago, I was invited to a business. Uh, it was a chain store. They were opening a new store in a community. They invited me to come and do the invocation. I said I would. I'm sitting on the, I'm sitting on the stage. There's the mayor and city councilman and some other individuals. And I'm not kidding you. Two minutes before I'm to go up, the guy leans over to me and says, Oh, by the way, when you pray, don't use Jesus' name. Just say his name because we got a lot of different perspectives in the crowd today. And I just looked at him. I said, Well, hey, let's just skip that. When you got me, you got Jesus. So I'll just slip off the platform here so that I won't cause a ruckus or a stink or a big scene. It's not my intent to make you look bad. If you skip over the invocation, nobody's going to know it. And I started, and he said, No, 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 no. He grabbed my arm because I was walking off. He said, No, 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 no. No, wait. Let me me think about it. (laughs) So he had about 90 seconds. He said, I tell you what, if you believe that strongly, you go right up there and you just go ahead and do it, and I'll, I'll handle it from here wasn't my intent to be a difficult person wasn't intent you know my, my, my idea wasn't to try to make a big splash We just say this you get me you get Jesus if you don't want that then okay but I am going to be his body you might limit my expressions of his body but I'm not going to stop representing his body that's it and I say that We see this all over the world. Governments have tried to stop the expressions of the body of Christ. And people all over the world have said, I'm his body and I'm gonna express him, sorry. I'll be as respectful as I can, but I won't stop. Because a Sudanese Christian will tell you, you get them, you get Jesus. You go to a Chinese Christian, You get them, you get Jesus. A Russian Christian, you get them, you get Jesus. All over the world, there are people who are saying, you get me, you get Jesus. Sorry. That I will not remove myself from. The last thing is this, which is a good thing. Read it out loud. As followers of Christ, we replace criticism of governmental leaders with prayer. We don't win governmental leaders over by spewing all over them. Look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We estimate this is right around the time that Nero was Caesar. The guy responsible for the big persecution. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Let me just stop there. Some of you would go, you've got to be kidding me. The guy who is slaughtering Christians. Paul, Paul didn't take a stronger stand than that. We pray against the evil forces that control people, but we always pray for the person. We don't pray against people, we pray for people. We pray against the evil forces that control that person. It's critical to know that. Get this this is good. And pleases God, our say. What How many would like to know? How would they like to please God? God says, "When you pray for your leaders, you please me." By the way, those are the leaders that killed him. And his response was, "Pray for their soul." Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth? How many will give me two more minutes? Okay, I'm going to give you an illustration. I've had the opportunity to be around government officials and some of their families. Even up on Capitol Hill, I've had the privilege of seeing some of them and their families and hearing from them. And I want you to, I want you to listen to this. People complain about, we just need more godly leaders. Let me tell you what it is that they can't say. I'll say it on behalf of them. They go, Pastor, we would love to come to church, but we can't because of the people who dump on us and spew all over us, including our kids. We want to go to church. To go to church. We get hit in the lobby, we get hit in the sanctuary. Sometimes people dump on our kids and we're on our way home and we're just doing damage control because of somebody who went off on our kids or went off on my wife or went off on my husband at church so we don't go to church anymore we are in a bible study with other community leaders but our church consists of a bible study we can't go to church because of how people who attend dump on them and then here people go oh i wish we had christian leaders well why don't you learn to treat them with respect none of you would ever jump on a drug addict that way Or drunk. Because you realize that that's not constructive. Dumping on political leaders does not lead them to Jesus. Spoke with a wife of a congressman. She says, I have to go to the grocery store. I shop at 2 a.m. in the morning. Because I got tired of going to the store and people verbally attacking me. So I wait till my husband gets home. The kids go to bed. And at 2 a.m. I go grocery shop. It's my safest time for people not to come after me. Oh God, give us godly leaders. No, give us godly subjects. Citizens who think that's how you win people to Jesus. You harden hearts with those kinds of responses. You play into stereotypes that people who don't like Christianity have created, you play into the stereotypes. God never said, scream at your officials that they may see the light. Pray for them. So we're gonna do that. Would you stand to your feet? I want us to take 30 seconds to praise God for the leaders. Whether you agree with them politically or not, I really don't care. That's who God let get into authority and get into power. We have elections that allow us to change it if we need, but right now, they are in those positions. I want God to help them to see the light and to be blessed because when they do good, we do good. I want leaders to succeed because if a leader fails, we all suffer. So I want us to praise God for 30 seconds, and then we're gonna pray to God for 30 seconds. God working our leaders in this community and our in our nation. Amen? Come on, everybody. Lift your voice louder than any protester giving praise. Come on, do it now.